are. Yeah, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. And it is what episode fifty-five or mm-hmm. season two, episode three, right? Yeah, and that, you know that just reminded me for reasons. Well, this week in one of the meetings I had, uh, it was our first meeting back. You know, with the new semester, and sure. um, and the person played a song by Mace which is a remix slash sample of uh, welcome back from welcome back Cotter. And then, Oh, uh, that's cool. It's a, it was a good, it was a good tune. I had not heard before it was, yeah. it was from a few, few years back, but it was a, you know, a bit of a throwback, but also a real throwback. If you remember welcome back Cotter, which, yeah, which, you know, only you a fraction of our audience yeah, knows what funny. that is. Yeah. Well, yeah. they, maybe that fraction knows the Mace song. Since maybe you, they and, do. Since and they're you like, and I know welcome back. Yeah, they're Cotter. like, where'd that say? Oh, where'd they steal that sample from? Oh, from some 1970s. From jo- some John Travolta television show from yeah. the 1970s. Yeah, that's right. With Arnold Horshack. Arnold Horshack. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Nice. He, he, I, I didn't do that justice. But, but you did, it came pretty close. It was Gabe great. Kaplan. Yeah, that was Gabe a, that Kaplan. Was that's right. Yeah. yeah. It was a teaching show. So look at that. Right. What a, that's what, what a great segue. It, into what it we was do. the reason I want to become a teacher. I was like, I want to be... I want to teach the sweat hogs. <laughs> the sweat hogs. No, no, that's not why I want to be. Not why. That is no, not why. Not at all. Hey, so what are we talking about today? I don't Scott? know. Like, I don't know. I think this is the uh, episode three of our trilogy on teacher education. <laughs> it's trilogies are the thing, right? Everybody wants yeah, a trilogy, right? Sure. If you're going to make a movie, you're going to make three movies, right? Yeah. You're gonna, you know, the. Dark Knight trilogy, the yeah, Star Wars trilogy. Right, there's trilogies out there. So right? it's all everything's in threes. It's the, the I don't tri- know triptychs. I, I don't know. Yeah. So everything. This is this is episode three, number three, this big number the, three. Yeah. And so what we what we did, if if you remember, uh, the first episode in this trilogy was about uh you know our own teacher education programs, the ones we went through uh, to become teachers, and then we talked a little bit about the work that you and I did together. Uh, when we were at Penn State, not just you and I, but others too. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And uh, some of our colleagues, that are, like one uh, that I work with at Millersville, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Patola, mm-hmm. and somebody that works at Westchester now, um, Brett Criswell. Mm-hmm. And so the, the work we did with this invisible college, right? The invisible yep. college for inquiry science study. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I was just contacted by a colleague at Drexel who's writing a book and wanted to cite that as, and so I just recently sent him your ICLS paper uh, oh, as a way to wow. cite in, the uh, Invisible College. So look at that! Wow, I forgot. Still, I, still influencing influencers. That is awesome. Yeah, the ICLS conference was pretty pretty fun, but we don't have yeah. to go down that rabbit hole no. either. But no. so what we wanted to do today in our uh, number three episode of three is talk about our, our present teacher education programs and maybe how that was influenced by some of the things that we've talked about in other episodes. And like, certainly there's some um, influence from things like communities of practice and cognitive apprenticeships and mm-hmm. all, the, all the things that we've talked about. So if you've been with us for a, a, a while, you'll probably see some of that um, stuff being played out here. Is that, is that a fair yeah. overview? Yeah, yeah, it seems good. Yeah. And um yeah, I mean, I think I think as we talked about in the last episode, I think for both of us, um, that that experience with Ickes and that group of people and the thinking that went on there um, really laid the groundwork for for the way that we think about 
teacher education now and science teacher education in particular. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it, it makes sense to then see what the, you know, the, you know, we talked about the alpha and the beta and now we can talk about the, the current version of what this thing looks like. Right. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited. I, and, and I feel, you know, I'm particularly excited to talk about it now because thank goodness, at least touch, you know, touch wood, this is going to hang in for a bit. Um, right. I'm actually in schools again, working with, with, uh, mentor teachers and, and kids. So, um, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked too. I was out in schools this week and, and getting to work with teachers and see classrooms and being around kids yeah. is cool. And even, and even though they're, you know, most of them are all masked up and they will be when, when we go in moving forward, um, it's still cool to feel that energy, to feel that buzz, to be back in schools and working with like, and to see new teachers, like beginning teachers progress through the year is so cool. Like you see them, you know, kind of being awkward in, in their skin in the, in the, in the beginning of the year. Yeah. And then as it goes on, you start to see them like develop into like really, really great teachers. And that's cool. That's cool to watch. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I, I won't, don't want to say I've forgotten, but, um, but I underappreciated how much I missed being in, in back in the schools with these folks and, and, um, just how much energy and, and how much learning I do, how much energy I get from and how much learning I do when I'm there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, that's cool. Yeah. So, so I, maybe I'll just jump in because I, I, um, I would say that when I came to Millersville, um, in 2007, you know, I had all of my experiences from Penn State, like in my head. And I was like, okay, you know, not only from ICUS, but also from like the elementary PDS that Penn State uh, ran, runs, um, where they had elementary uh, students out in the schools, elementary pre-service teachers out in the schools. And, and I knew that was something that was happening. And, and I was just blown away by how, how it worked for them and how those candidates left their first year uh, their their internship experience almost like a first year teacher right almost finished like they had finished a first year of teaching and so all of that experience was really vital and so I, I came to Millersville and luckily I was uh, I found that there were already people who were trying to start a PDS uh, professional development school at at Millersville so there was already this like critical mass of people there it's just that we couldn't get it off the ground and then I don't know how we got to this point, but at some point we, we, we asked about doing a pilot and I, we were like, okay, let's just take five, just give us five teachers. And we found one school um, that was willing to play ball. And we got five science interns to work at one school. Um, and a colleague and I taught our classes out in the school. Mm, so yeah, nice. to maximize the, time spent in the school so what we did was they get this the school was awesome the school district was is great and we still have we still partner with them with their our current program but they were like sort of like the beginner beginning you know the, the innovators they were people yeah. who were willing to jump in yeah. and so we had five science teachers partnered with five science interns it took them for the entire year we taught classes in the school and it became such a good experience for those five. You know, it was five out of like, at the time we had probably like 25 science, secondary science people. And so like really, a, you know, 20% of them were getting this experience. Right. And, and that actually was the, probably the best thing, 
right? Because it created this haves and have nots, which is not fair, right? It was not fair at all. But what it did was because of that difference, that discrepancy, it created a um, sort of an impulse to to make that change Mm. more widely. And so by year three, all of our science students were in a, a program like that. Um, now because of the nature of, you know, K to 12 schools, specifically secondary schools. And, you know, if you have a physics teacher working at a school, that's a lot, right? If a full-time physics teacher, yeah. now, thankfully we had a couple of schools that had more than one, but if you have like five physics teachers, you know, who are studying to become teachers, like you can't put them all in one school. It's like, so we had to distribute across a bunch of districts in our area. And so, um, we sort of left that. PDS, you know, one school concept and started putting and and also eventually leaving science completely um, and using all of our secondary students, all of our secondary uh, teacher candidates now are in some year long internship in a school, which is pretty ambitious. Um, But what we do is we teach Mondays and Tuesdays on campus in most of our content areas. There's some differences with some of the other ones, but in most of our content areas, so like science, science, social studies, um, English, they're on campus Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, they're out in the schools and they're on schools full days. And it's a, it's a really great experience for them. And I think we have seven partner districts. Mm-hmm. So in some districts we have, um, like 20 or 30 students and some, we have like three or four. So just based on what, what the districts are willing to take on. Yeah. So I, I guess it would be worth before I, I sort of give an Uber structure for my program currently, um, Maybe you want to talk a little bit about why, sure. you, you know, you did this. And um, so, yeah. so like why, in terms of why did we make the change or why did we, how did the structure become the way it did? I think because those are two different yeah. questions. So the, yeah. I'll, I'll start, I'll start. I with think the, the more interesting one. one is the first question. Yeah. So I, I will say like the experience that we had at the time. So this is, this is the, the way it was when I came in 2007, the experience was that, um, our teacher candidates went through about 12 weeks on, of on-campus learning. They never stepped foot in a school. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was what's considered professional block, which is the, prof- the semester before they student teach. Mm-hmm. So in Pennsylvania, they're required to do, you know, a student teaching experience of at least 12 weeks. I think is the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in most of schools, they do what a full semester. So like Millersville, yeah. they do 15 weeks. I think Penn State do, they do 15 weeks too. Yeah. 15 um, weeks. So even though the law requires 12, most schools do more than that. So in the fall semester, so we'll do a fall spring. So in fall, um, most of our students were in university classes from, from you know, September to like mid-November, maybe early November, and they would go out into schools for roughly three or four weeks, and then the semester would end. And then in the spring, they'd be placed in a different classroom. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were spending mm-hmm. some time, mostly observational in the fall in one classroom mm-hmm. and then spending the spring in a different classroom. And yeah. they would at that point, like come January, mid-January, they'd be really novices in the classroom. They would not really know the, the teacher. They wouldn't know the school. They wouldn't mm-hmm. know the students. And so and so there was that piece. Right. The piece about um, that they wouldn't know the school rules. And they'd, so they were learning how to teach at the same time. They're trying to navigate the school culture yep. and the classroom culture. Um, yep. But then there was also the divide between the stuff that we're doing on campus and the stuff that we're doing in schools. And so 
like I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I, this week I was, so I'm teaching an assessment class with, with in the PDS program this, this fall. And so um, this week I spent a lot of time talking about formative assessments and talking about how you connect it to learning objectives, learning targets and all that, and how to have to match and how to use that data. And I was talking about it really generally with the idea that I'm going to, you know, I'll build on this in the, in the coming weeks. But then I was out in the schools Wednesday morning and the uh, interns were all in a meeting with the principals and the principals were using the same exact language I was. So there were students who were in my class Tuesday night who then went into the schools Wednesday morning who was hearing that. So there's no gap between university and classroom. They're yeah. on the same page. And so, and it's also, we're not talking like weeks or months later. We're talking literally, in some cases, it was, I think my class ended at 7 p.m. And it was like 7.30 a.m. So not like 12 and a half hours later, yeah. they're hearing the same language. So they don't see there's there being a divide between well, the ivory tower yeah. and, the, and the schools. So we're being in close partnership with these districts, we're using a lot of the same terminology. We're using with some, some subtle differences, mm-hmm. certainly, but, um, and they're seeing the things that we're talking about in school at the university modeled in practice. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just like theory, it's theory and practice brought together. And that, and that I think is the, the real benefit of having a program that's like this, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I think, um, and I think that's helpful to to frame it a little bit in terms of those larger goals, because I think we talked a little bit about this and and specifically the thing you're talking about that we mentioned last time is this two worlds problem, right? right. That, the, yep. that <clears throat> not only are, are the university and the schools on different pages, but they often are, are conflicting, actively conflicting in the way that they think about things. And then we we uh, want our pre-service teachers to be the change agents there. The university side does. We want them to go out and change schools and be innovative and do this, you know, kind of teaching that we're advocating for. And then they're in these schools where the culture is very resistant to that. And, you know, that, that, you know, it's hard enough to be a first year teacher. And then you're also going to fight these battles. Um, right. That's a lot to ask. So, so I think for, for both you and I, a fundamental piece was how do we figure out lowering those barriers between the two worlds so that there's some coherence and alignment across. And, you know, I mean, I think given, given the way that we think about learning, right, in a broad sense, in the way that we've talked about on, on previous episodes, you know, we see learning as a social process and, and um, it happening in communities of practice and so what we really need is a coherent community of practice. And, and the way that that happens is if the people are actually practicing together, if they're working right. together, right? So um, so the, the program that I have now really evolved sort of gradually um, and, and interestingly in a sort of, I don't know what the right, I mean, in a lemonade out of lemon sort of way, like one of the things that's been happening over, and we've talked about this, one of the things that's been happening over the last 10 years or so is that the number of teacher uh, teacher candidates entering my program has, has shrunk rat- radically. Um, so when you were there in the Invisible College days, we were teaching the course that I now teach, um, the second methods course I teach, we were, we were teaching it twice a year. And the one semester usually had somewhere around 20 to 25 students in it. And the other semester had, 
was smaller because of the pattern and it was maybe 10 to 15. Um, so we were graduating, you know, 40 ish science teachers a year, give or take. And, um, and now my current iteration that's in schools is seven. So, um, you know, that, that precipitous drop, um, is not generally good for all sorts of reasons, but one thing it does do is make you very nimble because if you only have to deal with seven students, um, finding placements to your point about finding one school where you can do this, um, all that becomes a lot easier. Not that there aren't institutional barriers and we can certainly talk about that stuff too, but, um, but it helps. Um, so in the process of, of this program shrinkage, um, I was trying, I was also trying to solve this. You said shrinkage. I know. Oh, sorry. That, does that make you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> no, I just, you just popped it in that yeah, casual conversation. Yeah. Nice. I, well, you know, I, I wanted you to, you know, do what you did. Which just is, a, yeah. Notice. Yeah. Nice. And then. Uh, I, I, you, you totally what you me. did? You tittered. <laughs> I tittered. <laughs> if you could see Ollie, you could see he's covering, he's, he's, covering his face just a little bit in a sort of tittery way. It's perfect. To go I'm going to have to Google that titter. Yeah. Maybe not. No, probably. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Be careful. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that was happening simultaneously is I had started, um, I had a, an, a project, uh, an NSF project that had a lot of professional development associated with it. So I was designing a lot of professional development and I was bringing in mentor teachers and some of the local teachers here in the district nearest to Penn State um, were people that had graduated from the Penn State program and sort, sort of were already affiliated. And I knew some of them well, either they've been my students or I knew them from other contexts. And some of them came to these professional development work, workshops and ambitious science teaching was part of the structure of those workshops, as was phenomenon-based teaching and sort of a bunch of the things that we've talked about. So, and the teachers that came were at, at sort of a flexion point. And one of the teachers that I work with right now, Mike, um, is um, writing an article about this, uh, about where he was when he came into this professional development, which is to say, he was really at a phase in his career where he had been teaching for, at that point, I think 10 years or a little bit more. And he was working really hard to improve, but he felt all his work was for naught. Like no matter what he did, he didn't he didn't feel like he was getting better at his job and he was very dissatisfied. And he, he says he was really close to just quitting. He, he was just done. He's like, I'm not getting better at this. I'm not enjoying it. It's not good for me. And that this experience, this reconceptualizing of what teaching could be put him on a journey where now he, he loves teaching. And I want to be clear, Mike, I, I, I think was a great, science teacher, um, before all this happened. Um, but this transformation of, uh, was a career saver for him. Sure. And so, so there's, I think one of the things that, that I think is really important and valuable about the work, this sort of partnership work that universities can do with schools is that it is partnership work and that yeah. the teachers that we work with grow too. And I grow and my, my pre-service teachers grow. Um, and so it's really a phenomenal learning environment. And, uh, and so it, it becomes, it not only breaks down the two worlds problem, which, I, which it does, but it also does amazing things for the kids, the pre-service teachers and the mentor teachers and the university faculty that are involved in these projects. And, they, and we saw that here at Penn State in the PDS work. I'm sure you see it in your PDS yeah. work. Like it, it, it really is incredibly powerful what you see happen in this. Um, so what happened was, 
they started, I started working with them. They started working on changing the way that they did their science teaching, um, being more phenomenon driven and explanation driven and ambitious science teaching um, as a, as an organizing set of practices. And at the same time, the program shrinking. And at the same time, I'm thinking I I need placements for my pre-service teachers. And so what I eventually approached them with is what if we taught my methods course in the school, if we just did an embedded thing and we combined it with the field experience. And the interesting thing about the way that the semester before student teaching works here at Penn State is um, because you're only in the field for part of the semester, and I won't go into the whole history of this, but you're, you had the original model was they were in class with me for the first part of the semester, two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then towards the end of about uh, uh, an eight, eight week process, then after that, for a few weeks, they were a few days in the field. So they had a couple, I think it was, I don't think it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but maybe it was Wednesday, Friday. They were in the field in their placements. And then they were with me the other days. And then there was a stretch of six weeks where they were just in the field every day um, or five weeks in the original model. So, um, in, but this is just in the morning. So they, so they had their schedule. So what this meant is their schedule was blocked out in the morning from 8 a.m. until noon. And so they took their other classes in the afternoon, but their, but their schedule was blocked out so they could be in schools in the morning. Well, the thing that that provided me was an incredible amount of flexibility because if I could talk to the field experience supervisor and say, look, I want all that time and then we're going to reorganize it in a creative way so that it does both my class and your class in the school, but we're going to really go by the school's calendar and see if we can figure out um, a schedule that'll work for us. And um, and then the other thing that was miraculous, um, I mean, I, I want to be clear, like how this all worked out, I feel like I've got a unicorn on my hands and I don't know how long I'm going to have it. But um, but one, so the the middle school we work with has an alternating A-B schedule, which a lot of places do. That's sure. a block. And on B days, they had, ha- they had the seventh grade team of teachers who taught um, – who taught in the the second half of the morning and the eighth grade team of teachers taught in the first half of the morning. And then the opposite side of that, each team had a planning period. So basically I could bring my whole class in. I could have half my class working with eighth grade students with their mentor teachers for the first half of, of the day. And then they'd come to me for class. And then the seventh grade were in the reverse. They were with me for the first half and then they went in and worked with kids and, and, it so that so that I had this like magical structure, and then on the opposite days, on the A days, the the whole team of five had a planning period, a joint planning period across the five of them. So they met together and talked, and so we could come in for those days too if we wanted and hear them plan. So this led to just a, an amazing embedding of my course, and and I think frankly an exponential growth in in my pre service teachers' lives and the way that they learn how to teach science because. Not only were they seeing this stuff happen, you know, you were talking about sort of this, that cutting down the time from your class to the, to the school. And, you know, it was like they were in class and then the next, you know, five minutes later, they were with me in class and we could talk about it. And then, and if we wanted, we could go back into the other classrooms and go watch the other half of the cohort teach and and talk about it and, and vice versa. And so it became... And, and the teachers were very open to having people in and out of their classroom. So it became, it, it now is this very fluid, dynamic environment where uh, mentor teachers and pre-service teachers move around to different classrooms in a sort of free-flowing way based on what they're trying to 
to do, or they're interested in, or who they need to talk to, or what they want to see. And then they can break off into a classroom and go talk to each other for a while or work on something. And then they can come back in. I mean, it, it's just, um, it's just been a remarkable experience. And, and I think, um, for my pre-service teachers to see the quality of instruction that's going on there, which, you know, I, I would put these, these folks up against anybody as some of the best science teachers I've ever seen. And there's five of them all together and they collaborate and they work together and all that's part of the reason they are as good as they are. But, um, but then to have my pre-service teachers, not just hearing me say like, Oh, this ambitious science teaching is super good stuff and (laughs) kids love it and it'll be great. And now they're actually seeing it and, and they're experiencing, you know, like eighth grade kids who are still talking about what happened in class as they're walking out of class and they're hearing them, you know, say, oh yeah, we were talking about this at lunch. And, you know, like this, this experience of like, holy cow, these kids are not just learning science. Like they are just, they're in it. Like they see this as something that they do. Um, and yeah, so, so as you can probably hear from my voice, like the, the, what, where this has gone now is, is a pretty amazing place. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, to keep this unicorn alive as long as I can. That's really cool, Scott. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that's, you know, for both of these programs, we're adding value to the schools. Our students are adding values to the for schools. Sure. And, and I, I think I, you know, I was listening to the last two episodes um, recently, 53 and 54, and and I think I alluded to it in either 53 or 54 that there was some other piece that was missing in the, you know, the programs that we're developing or the programs that we went through. And I think it's the it's kids. I think that whenever we have these, you know, drop in programs like, you know, your Penn State program used to have and certainly Millersville used to have is that they would spend you know three or four weeks here and then go someplace else and spend 12 or 15 weeks so much of that, I want to say, you know, lens is on the pre-service teacher's development. And that's important. But so much of that is integrated with understanding kids and understanding how kids in schools work and how kids interact with one another. Because that's really what, you, what we need to do is to help our our pre-service teachers and early, you know, early career teachers understand that their focus shouldn't be on just what they do. It should be the focus of what their yep. students are doing. And so they, these long-term placements where they get to spend lots of times in, in, in schools, not just flying in and spending some time in one place and then going and spending some time in another, where they're not getting to make relationships with kids or with teachers or anything. Yep. Um, this, these long-term by the time these students are our interns and your interns will be have spent the their time in these schools they'll know these students and they'll know like what made them tick and and I think that's one of the real value added and that's outside of science because that's something yeah. that applies to all teaching yeah. but this is a relational it's a relational profession yes right and and so much of what we do as teachers is built on uh, is built on fostering really positive relationships with, with students. And so giving them the time to understand that I think is the critical piece. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think, you know, that, that, um, that idea that the purpose of your job as a teacher is to build relationships. And, you know, we've been talking about 
the difference between relationships and, and classroom management in my class um, as a way to think about teaching. But that, but that, you know, that the fact that my students are there the first day and they, because of the AB schedule, maybe that wasn't clear, but we're there every B day for the first eight weeks. So they're there every day that those kids have science, even though my students aren't there every day, they're there every other day. Um, they're there every day that those students have science. So, so it's like being a full-time teacher for that class that they're there for. Um, and even, you know, and that, again, that's because that schedule, the way it was blocked off. Um, but like, I, I don't think we can overestimate how important the beginning of the year is for establishing how you relate to your children. And also that, that, um, sort of, built-in awkwardness, right? That is the beginning of every relationship where, you know, the teachers are there and they, they understand like, okay, this is a new group of kids. They don't know me. They don't know each other. I have to build them up. They have to become comfortable with each other and with me. And, you know, my, my jokiness is going to, the the kids are not going to laugh because it's, it's weird. And they don't know if laughing is okay yet. And, you know, it's like all that stuff that happens like with any other beginning relationship, right. Where, where things are a little awkward and, um, you know, being there for that, for my students is, is pretty amazing. And then, you know, they're going to be teaching their first part of their lesson next week, which is week, week three for them, but yeah. they've already been talking with kids for two weeks. And they've you know, already so developed relationships. And they, that's right. That's, they know the kids' names. They, they, the yeah. kids know who they are. The kids, you know, are excited to have them in the room. And, um, and one other thing I'll add, the other thing is because I'm working in this middle school and one school and, and you can hear, even with my small numbers with seven, there's more, more pre-student te- or pre-service teachers than there are mentor teachers. So one of the things that's happened every year that we've done this is the pre-service teachers are in groups. Um, and, and those groups can sometimes be as big as three or four, if we've got a big class, um, but usually it's two or one. Um, but often it's at least two and that's a huge advantage too, because you, when you're in there together, you can watch each other teach and give each other right. feedback. You can do all sorts of pedagogical things that are really powerful. Um, and, and, and you and, can split up the class in the three exactly. and do some parallel teaching, you know? Yep. Yeah. That's There's cool. so many options. Right? I think the other thing, you know, besides talking about the start of the year, like when the students get to spend like, a lot of time during the course of the school year, even just if it's just a semester and they're spending like intensive amounts of time, you know, for those of us who worked in, in teaching for a while, we understand there's like ebbs and flows with the students and they go through, like, if you, if you talk to somebody who teaches, you know, senior level students, they can tell you that come March and April of the senior year is there's a dynamic shift in students at that point because most of those students have figured out what they're doing next. And so their level of motivation and engagement changes significantly during that time. <laughs> um, but I think there's other things that, you know, I mean, it, whenever there's weather, whenever there's like, you know, political uprisings or like, you know, conversations, there's all these things that really impact the types of stuff that happens in our classroom. And it's just not a performative activity. And I think that's the the big change is that whenever they do these fly-in programs, and I don't mean it's like so negatively, but these programs where it's focused on the lesson plan as a performance Mm -hmm. and that the students come in and do it. And then that's the, the focus. Then there's a lot of 
you're only seeing part of the picture. You're only seeing part of the, the movie. You're all like, it's like you've been given a book on teaching and they've just ripped out one chapter on lesson planning and handed it to you. Right. And there's like 35 other chapters that you're not getting a chance to see, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's what's one of the real benefits of doing these intensive year-long internships with, with them, with, with schools is I, I think, yeah. Like I had one student who's been placed in a, um, in an, an urban school and he was like, you know, I, I didn't know whether I, I would, cause he, he had grown up in a rural environment. He's like, I, I've never really been in an urban school before mm-hmm. and I love it. I love it. Yep. And, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Isn't it? It's like, yeah, I had this perception of what the school was going to be like, and it was nothing like it at all. And I'm just loving it. Now there's a really good chance. This guy may stay in or urban school and work with, with, with these kids. And it's just going to be fantastic because that's going to be like, we, it created a real, you know, life changing, you know, moment for this, this kid. And that's awesome. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I've had similar um, versions of that, except with middle school, right? Because I I don't know what your experience is, but uh, almost all of my students come into my program thinking they want to teach high school for starters. Many of them want to teach AP, like that's all they want to teach. They want They're to teach like, content. I just, I, I, I want to teach AP physics. That's, yeah. uh, that's the thing I want to teach. I'm like, no, you don't. You do not want to teach that. That is the last thing you want to teach, but I'm not going to tell you that because you're young and you've got a lot of growing to right. do. So we're going to, we're going to put you in a school with a bunch of middle schools, kids, and you're going to see like, wow, middle school kids are actually pretty cool. They're pretty and, cool. And they and do, exhausting. Yeah. Well, they're totally exhausting, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I gotta say again, part of the, another part of this unicorn that's been so amazing is like middle school kids are exactly the right age for this because they're, they're smart. They're thinking science ideas. Like they can really dig into intellectual ideas. They're not, they're not, and not that little kids can't, but they, you know, middle school kids can really do that, but they're also still kids and they're not always, you know, by eighth grade gets a little tougher, but you know, high school kids are so self-aware and so self-conscious about how they're projected to their peers that they get really up in their heads about, um, participating in a way that's going to make, what will people think if I answer this question or if I say something dumb, or if I'm like show that I'm generally interested, yeah. genuinely interested in this, you know, they'll think I'm a nerd and that yeah. might not be good. And yeah, like, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely something special about teaching middle school. And, and, and th- that's where I'm, you know, my students are working, the students I'm supervising this semester are all in a middle school. And it's so cool to be in a middle school. That's where I started mm-hmm. my career. I probably spent the, both the first four or five years in a middle school working either part-time or full-time in middle school. Um, but then when I moved to central Pennsylvania, I, I, you know, came for a high school physics position only yeah. because, you know, my wife and I were looking for a place where we both could get jobs, you know, but I could yeah. spend my career in middle school. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But, I, and, and I think, you know, the, the sad thing is I think it's easier to get middle school teachers to try this kind of stuff, yeah. like high school teachers, I, and and the the reason I say it's sad is because I think the high school teachers are genuinely missing out because they think that they have this content that they have to teach, um, and so they they're they're they feel handcuffed to it and they don't feel like they have the freedom to say, yeah, I'm going to try this. I'm going to open up my curriculum and try and have kids actually explain things because, you know, as as we've talked about on many times before, like the big beef 
usually the big beef is this takes more time. Like yeah. I can't do this. It's like, I can't quote unquote cover everything if we do it this way. And, you know, a, I think that's incorrect, but B, I think the question is, why is that your worry? Um, what is this cover? Why is this coverage thing your main worry? Um, but that's a whole, like, that's like being a therapist. Like you got to really yeah. unpack that with people. Like you get, okay, let me, tell me about your childhood with coverage and how you felt that's about, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's like you, you have to, there's so, there's so many levels to the transformation necessary to really get to the idea of, okay, this, I mean, the, I mean, I hate to reduce, not hate to reduce it. That's, that's the wrong way to describe it. I think that the best reason for doing this is how much joy it brings, right? Like it brings the teachers yeah. that I work with generally, genuinely are joyful about their job. And the kids in those classrooms are happy. They're happier. Not all of them. I mean, I'm not trying to make this out to be like some sort of panacea, but but seeing those kids, like kids actively engaged and talking to each other about problems that they feel like they can solve, like they can, I have an answer to this and I think I've got an idea like that, that level of engagement is, and I hate even using that word, but, but the joy that you see is is just, it's, it transforms the way you think about schools. Like you just standing in the room, like, holy cow, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Yeah. That's really cool. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I mean, just like, you know, Mike talks about how he couldn't go back to any other way of teaching after this. Um, I don't know if I can go back to any other way of teacher education. I'm trying to imagine, you know, what would happen if my numbers got up to 40 again, and I was teaching this twice a semester and I had to find placements for that many, you know, and yeah, sadly, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, You know, I don't I think, think we're going to be right. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have a point where we're going to have 40 because, I mean, that's where we started. And, you know, when I first started doing this, I said, you know, we had like 25 or, you know, that, and that was just in one semester, 25 methods students in science. Yeah. Um, and then I think we've had as many as like 30 or 35. Those days are gone. I think this semester we have like 13. And that's the we'll have 13 graduating uh, students in science education this year. Yeah. Well, and that's bigger and than that, us. Right. But still, you know, it's it. I, I bet you across all of the programs in the state, um, are they graduating 100 science educators? Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, we uh, I, uh, you know, I remember it was my fifth or sixth year here and uh, um, the AAPT, the American what is that American Association of Physics teachers contacted us and said, Hey, we want to interview you about your program because we want to know what you're doing because you have one of the largest, you graduate the largest number of physics teachers in the country, like you're in the top five. Wow. And I I wrote back to them, I was like, Well, I mean, this year we had three, so I think you're probably wrong. And and they're like, Well, no, on average, programs graduate half a physics teacher a year. So they're doing one physics teacher every two years. Um, and, and I said, oh, well, well, yes. said, if that's the case, then yeah, maybe we are in your, in your top five. Um, and that has changed too, uh, sure. you know, with the numbers going down, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's, um, it's crazy, right? It's, 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 uh, bananas. It is bananas. So we should probably move to Joyce, you know, I, I guess we be, should. Be, before we get into like, you know, depressing rabbit hole with the state of, you know, 
Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I, and I was talking about joy a second ago. So, um, so that's, that seems like, you know, in addition to my joy of being back in the school, we can, we can, um, we can think of some joys that we might be able to share with people that they could share with us. Cause not everybody can come to school with me. Yeah. I mean, as yeah. much as I would like. That. So I, I have one. Um, I've been watching Please. the new Disney plus series. What if, Oh, uh, look yeah, at you. I knew, All you right. I knew you'd be down with this. I know. Uh, so this is an old comic book series uh, called what if, and what it does is it envisions worlds in the, you know, Marvel universe in which one thing was changed or something was changed and what, what the impacts were. And I love these kinds of like narratives. Like mm-hmm. I, like there's a movie called sliding doors that oh, is, sure. is a great it. movie. And it's uh, basically it's one linear story up until the, a moment where she makes a train or she doesn't make the train. Right. And it's, I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that who's it in? is? Yes. <clears throat> and so she makes the train and then she catches her, her boyfriend cheating on her. And yeah. so she, there's the story at that point is told in two different, like it right. jumps back and forth. Parallel and the only strands, reason, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Two strands. And so that's like the, the, what if of it, like what if she would have made the train or what if she didn't make the train? Yeah, yeah. And so what Marvel is doing is they're um, they're retelling some of the stories that have happened in movies and so on based on if one thing would have changed, what if this thing would have changed and it's all, it's an animated series. I need to preface it with that. And I don't love the animation. I I do like animation, but the animation for this is a little odd, Mm -hmm. Um, but I love the stories. I love the stories about like, Oh, well, what happens if, you know, like this, this past one um, was about Dr. Strange. Well, what happens if Dr. Strange, you know, in this storyline, he loses his ability to be a surgeon. Um, but instead, what if he, rather than did that, instead lost the love of his life? And so that mm-hmm. creates a pretty different motivation for someone. Um, and th- how that plays out is pretty significant in the story. Yeah. So there's like, it's like maybe four or five episodes in at this point. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome, you know, but you have to be into that kind of stuff. And you know, I am and yes. you are. And yeah, so... Yeah. Well, so, it helps. It helps for that if you know the original story, because the right. what if falls a little flatter if you don't know what it what it's yeah. contrasting with. Right. So, yeah. so you have to have but, some knowledge of what's yeah. going on. You don't but, have to have deep knowledge. And each one of these episodes seems, at least right now, to be standalones. I, um, yeah, I that's the way the comic always was. Right. Too, so I think single episode. Some people are expecting them to lead to some like final yeah. story, but I don't think it it doesn't seem like there's any, you know, cross thread there so i don't know yeah well this yeah i mean i i just was hearing somebody the other day speaking of how we're nerds about comics talking about all the different magnetos and like all the different universes and all yeah. the like you can look that up on wikipedia and see like how many different multi and they all have numbers and letters and whatever it's just bananas how many these characters go through so many transformations sure. and uh yeah, well, that's a good one. I'll have to look. I haven't. I have seen the previews for it, but I have not seen the show, so I'll I'll take a peek. Um, and my my so mine's uh sort of a different beast. Mine is a place uh to go to. Um, and not everybody obviously will be able to do this because uh you know you I don't know where you all live. Some of you don't even live in this country apparently. Um, 
and thank you for joining us. From, yeah, from, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think Ireland is is a place that we have some listeners. Or listeners. Ireland is a place. Ireland is a place. I said a place we have some <laughs> listeners. Everybody's a critic. Um, but this weekend, um, my uh, my daughter said, "Hey, I want to go to Longwood Gardens." I don't know, oh, what's Longwood cool. Gardens? And so this is a place, it's outside Philadelphia, a little ways. It's near Westchester, Pennsylvania, um, or not far from there. Sure. And uh, it's a, it's, it was a, a private home from the, you know, from the 1900s, early 1900s that these people started, they had property, they had houses on it, and then they started building um, uh, sort of different gardens. Originally, a lot of fountains. There's a lot of fountains. There's water, what they call water gardens there, an Italian water garden, and then this main water garden. They have a, a huge greenhouse um, full of, you know, amazing plants. And um, the but the, and there's little tree houses, there's little nooks, there's all different places. And you can, you know, you just, you go and buy tickets, you can wander around, you know, this time of year when, or this time of pandemic, um, it's nice to have a place you can wander around outside and just be in a beautiful place. And I hadn't really ever heard of it before my daughter found it. And, um, and, and I think it also reminded me that, you know, from where we live, there's a lot of great places you can get to in a pretty short distance. Right. And that you can make a day trip out of it, even though it's a three hour drive, like you get up, you, you leave your house at eight o'clock, you're there by 11. You can spend hours there, go have lunch at a nice place that you didn't knew existed before you did this. And then, you know, it's just, it's these sort of day trips. I don't know if I'm just old and, and curmudgeonly and I, I, <laughs> I don't want to get in the car and drive to three hours. Do you stay for the fountain show? Um, we did not. So yeah, we, that's, we, that's the, the, uh, that's the best part. If you can yeah, stay for a well, final thanks. show. Okay. Thanks for ruining. Well, no, after, after that's the best part. He said, it, well, it's pretty amazing. Like, yeah. so we've gone probably once a summer, every summer for the last like three or four years. It's a really great location. Yeah, and, yes. and if you can say in the evening, when it starts getting dark, what they do they is this do the like lighted thing, yeah. the lighted fountains. So there's fountains all over this place. And what yeah. they have is they have it coordinated to music. So it's almost like a dancing fountain thing. And you have to stand up on the hill yeah. and looking out over like probably 10 or 15 acres of fountains. And they just are like springing up out of the water and just, it's amazing. It's, yeah. it's just really amazing. Cause it's all programmed and it's like, it's, and orchestrated it's awesome it is awesome so that's a good joy scott yeah it, really it, it just reminded me um it reminded me that you know you can you can just go and go places for a little while and just enjoy yourself and forget about like other stuff that's going on and just settle in so um so yeah it was it was wonderful yeah that's awesome all right. So that brings us to the end of episode 55. Yeah. 55 is in the books. Look at yeah. us. Woo. Yeah. We're so we deep, will deep see. into season two. I know. Look at us. We are, we're trudging right along and new stuff next week. Cause we <laughs> finished this, this trilogy is over. So we are yeah. going to have to, you know, venture into new territory next week. It's exciting. Nice. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited about it. We, we yeah. got to figure out what that new territory is, but, <laughs> but we will. We, We'll be there. We got, we got something. We got, we'll we got something that works. Yes, yeah. absolutely. All right. See you next time. See you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.